Sermon number 652, The High Cost of Christian Living, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, July 8, 1973, the text, Matthew, the 13th chapter, the 44th through the 52nd verses. Matthew's Gospel, the 13th chapter, beginning to read at the 44th verse, and this morning, I choose to read from the New Living Bible, which is a paraphrased edition. Jesus speaking, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, a man discovered in a field. In his excitement, he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field and to get the treasure, too. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. He discovered a real bargain, a pearl of great value, and sold everything to own and purchase the pearl. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a fisherman. A fisherman who casts a net into the water and gathers in fish of every kind, valuable and worthless. When the net is full, he drags it up onto the beach and sits down and sorts out the edible ones into crates and throws the others away. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the godly, casting the wicked into the fire, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you understand? Yes, yes, they said, we do. Then Jesus added, those experts in Jewish law who are now my disciples have double treasures from the Old Testament as well as from the New. Amen. The preacher does not need to accumulate much data to convince everyone in this day of the high cost of living. Anyone who has recently purchased products, produce, poultry, prime ribs, pork, even pizza, knows that it costs more to live today than it did six months ago. And certainly we were discouraged, weren't we, on Friday with that report that came out of Washington, which tells us that in the last month the wholesale price index rose more, rose more rapidly than at any other time in the previous generation, which is 30 years. We wonder where it's all going to stop, and we, we, we feel the limit soon has to be reached, and the saturation point attained. But the prices keep going up. The most encouraging thing that I can find in such disheartening news is that it does give a preacher the opportunity to once again speak on and remind people 
of the high cost that Christian living has always demanded. I think in this particular atmosphere, when it's costing us more to live, we can perhaps have a better understanding of the high cost that the Christian life has always demanded. You've heard it before, you hear it today, you're going to hear it again. It costs to be a Christian. And anyone who is not willing to make the cost or expend it, you're only playing games with God and the church. But it's more, one can become a Christian or grow in the Christian life only as he is willing to spend himself, his gifts, his treasures, and he will grow only in proportion to the amount that he is willing to give of such a costly investment. I didn't make the rules, I'm just here to announce them. But as I understand the Gospels, the New Testament, the Word of God, that unless we're willing to make that cost, no matter how high, we don't have much choice or hope in reaching the meaning of Christian life in the kingdom of heaven. It costs to be a Christian, and I mean more than just what gold can buy. It costs in terms of time. There's a very valuable possession, and no matter how much time we have in life, none of us think we really have enough, do we? But the fact remains that if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, if you're going to live a Christian life, it takes time. Time for public worship, time for personal and private devotion, time for personal study of the Bible, time for prayer, time that is required out of your work, out of your home life, through your ethics to present the Christian witness and testimony. So that people can know without a shadow of a doubt who you are and for whom you stand. That all takes time. Yet this is one thing that I find modern day people wanting to keep and yet still remain a part of the Church of Jesus Christ. And it can't be done. And I think it's high time that we make this message clear so that we don't give people the impression that they can play church and not sacrifice time. You can't do it. I don't know if you ever stopped to realize it, but we would have no Gospels, we would have no New Testament, we would not have the message of salvation in spite of the fact that in Jesus Christ was God's presence and power. Even that would not have affected this world unless a few people have been willing to take time. Time out of their home life, time out of their work life, time out of their vacation time to listen to Jesus. They took time to become perplexed with his simple teaching, which was so simple it appeared complex. They took time to talk to him. They took time to get to know. 
And because people of yesterday took time with Jesus. We have the New Testament. We have the church. We have the opportunity to give our time likewise. But you see, what was impossible for Jesus to do in the days of his flesh, in his physical body, the Spirit of God cannot do anymore today in his mystical body, the church. And unless people are willing to give the time to the church, we can't give them anything. Nothing at all. You, you may not believe it, but I am more concerned than any of you about the great decrease in church membership throughout the major denominations that has been going on now since the mid-sixties. I get quite discouraged about it. And also I am more discouraged by the increase of absentees from regular worship. Now this has been going on in the country for almost eight years now. First it happened in the inner cities and then the residential areas. The last couple of years we have seen it hit the suburbs. And we wonder where it's going to end. It's most discouraging. And you ask why? Some of our church leaders in the United Presbyterian Church have been asking that question for several years. Some of them says we've got to change. That's the problem. We're in a rut. We've got to change our worship style. We have to change the time of worship. We have to change the program. So many churches changed. And in 1971, we lost in the United Presbyterian Church 66,000 people. Many people said we changed not enough. We changed the major organization of our church's headquarters. And in 1972, we lost 104,000 people. 104,000 communicant members we lost within the United Presbyterian Church last year. You can read it in Presbyterian Life, or in A.D., which is the continuation of Presbyterian Life in this latest edition of July 1973. The church school in Rome. Traditionally, for the last few decades, it has always run, as a rule of thumb, one-third of the total communicant membership, always around 30 percent. Thank goodness in this church it has always been around 60 percent of the membership. That's because not only the grace of God, but because of the hard work of many of you who are willing to take time not only to teach in our church school program, but you take time to come and learn yourselves. And I'm very grateful for you. But last year, the church school enrollment in the United Presbyterian Church alone decreased 137,613 persons. Now, what's wrong? Well, I've heard the usual arguments, but let's not blame all of this on pedantic preaching, poor programming and planning, and publicized pronouncements of the General Assembly. I don't buy that. 
I'm sure there are other factors. But if you're going to be fair about it, let's include the one that I think is almost paramount. Because like people in other denominations, I'm afraid Presbyterians like to play. Play far too much and refuse to give the time. Forgive me if I get upset because I always speak to the wrong group of people on this. You wonderful friends are here. You've taken time today. But if you had to hear the excuses that Andy Bruder and I and the other members of the staff have to listen to why people are not here this morning, get you a little shook up too. I can't accept their theology. I can't accept their theories. But believe me, I, they have my admiration. And I'm talking about the Jehovah's Witnesses. Last Wednesday, as I caught that 10 a.m. newscast about how those 40,000 people from this and surrounding states were causing a five-mile traffic jam on a holiday when there was supposed to be no traffic downtown on our parkway trying to get the way to the Three Rivers Stadium. I admired that. I wonder, what do they have that we don't have? Because I doubt very much, ladies and gentlemen, if I could count on and believe that we could have 40,000 Presbyterians from Pennsylvania and the surrounding state to spend the time, to spend the effort, to spend the vacation, to spend the money to go to a five-day assembly. Even if we held it in Ocean City, I don't think we could get them, let alone Three Rivers Stadium, but they did. They did. And, and, and we wonder what's wrong. It takes time to be holy. That's the way the hymn puts it. It takes time to be holy, to speak off with your Lord and to heed his word. There's no other way. And unless people are willing to give God, Jesus Christ, and his church time, don't expect God, Jesus Christ, or the church to do too much. It's a high cost. Time. The second one is thought. You see, Christianity is a thinking person's religion. And if Christianity is going to be a real, alive, exciting, and active in your life, it will be so only if you engage your mind in your worship. Unlike other religions that offer solace, peace of mind, the assurance of God's love. If you go through a few rigmaroles or rituals or routines, our Christianity does not offer that. We don't give false security. The Lord, in his infinite wisdom, did not give us a specific answer for all of the specific problems that have been, are now, or ever will be. Instead, he has given us some basic tenets, ideas, laws. The Bible calls them commandments. Call them what you want. But he says, take those particular commandments, those ideas, and when asked, when he reinforced them, Jesus Christ said, the first law of the commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. 
God expects us to take those eternal, everlasting principles, commandments, tenets, absolutes, and with our mind engage their teachings to the contemporary problems of today. And he expects through our minds for the Christian answers to be found. I don't care how many hours you spend in church, how many pages of scripture you read, how many sentences you include in your prayers, if your mind is not engaged in the worship, in the study, in the prayer, forget it. It costs thought to be a Christian, and lots of it. Personally, that's one of the good things that I hope is going to come out of the Watergate investigations. I hope every American realizes through this very tragic experience, and I'm pointing no fingers because I don't know, but from this tragic experience, I hope every American be a representative of the people, a reporter of the press, or merely a recipient of our precious rights, that every American will realize again how important it is to think about the consequences of tomorrow before we speak and act today. You see, it's possible to have eyes to see and see not, ears to hear and ear hear not, hearts to feel and feel not. It is only as these particular organs are engaged with the mind that we can begin to grow in Christian living. The Bible says God made us a little lower than the angels, but that he has crowned us with majesty and with honor, and the thing that makes us different and unique are our minds. So for God's sake, and your own, and for growth in the Christian life, let's use these things, these minds, for unless you're willing to spend your thoughts, you can't grow in the Christian life. Time, thoughts, treasures. The Christian life costs you your treasure. And please, let's not limit treasure only to gold or what money stands for, because that's really only a small part of the treasure. According to the dictionary, a treasure can be anything or any person considered very valuable. Anything. You see, if this particular day you have within you selfishness, and if you think in your heart, because your treasure is always where your heart is, Jesus said that, if you are always thinking in your heart about yourself and everything as it refers to me, then you treasure selfishness. You see, always interested only in doing your own thing, or getting what you want, 
is worshipping your treasure, which is selfishness. And a selfish person can't enter into the kingdom of God, and it is only as you spend or give up that selfishness, which is a tremendously high cost, are we ever going to grow in the Christian life. Selfishness to me, if I understand Genesis 3 correctly, this is the heart of all sin. But selfishness is so doggone hard to get rid of because, you see, it's born in each one of us. It's inherent with our nature. It comes with our birth. And it's so hard to turn around and repent from being a selfish person to one that follows God. But unless you do repent, turn around. You can't enter into the kingdom of God or grow in the Christian life. If there's a desire today in your heart for prestige, popularity, power, that can be a treasure. Be surprised the number of people who, who worship and desire and think only about that time or that opportunity when they'll have this, this proper place in life of popularity or prestige or power. <laughs> How foolish. They spend so much time and so much effort pampering their bodies and and, and, and telling silly stories and etc. to try to get people to give them what they want. You see, because popularity, prestige, and power are not some things that you get. If you have them, you have them only because someone else has given them to you. If you are, and we have many of them here this morning, in, an individual who, who res, is respected in this community, who, who exercises a tremendous amount of authority and power, who, who has genuine popularity. You have that only for one reason, because people, others, who have seen you and know you, respect your judgment and your integrity and your honesty, and they give you their confidence and their love. you know that people, individual persons, can be a treasure that you have to give up to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Yes. I don't care who or she might be. A father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife. If you worship that person more than God, you're not worthy of Jesus Christ. Our Lord said that himself. And I see it so much in our society today, where sometimes I think we become far too oriented around our children whom we love. When we begin to think of these particular people as being with us forever, we just can't think of giving them up. Well, anyone who cannot give up another person with love, and in life. They're never going to understand the meaning of Christian love or of the Christian life. Now that sounds hard, and that's very, very costly. But God himself experienced this when he gave his only begotten Son so that you and I might have life. He gave his own Son up in death. Because of it, we understand Christian love and have the opportunity for Christian life. All it costs, it, 
It costs something tremendous if one's going to become a Christian and grow in the Christian faith. But unlike the high cost of material living, no one, no person, not even God himself, will force anybody to make that expenditure. No. God has not that power. I have not that power. No one has that power because God has given us as individuals the only way that we can decide if we're going to make that cost. You have to make it, and you can make it on a day like today. It's costly, but you can make it. And if you want to make it, you'll never be sorry. And then you'll only have to worry about one high cost of living, the material one, because the Christian high cost of living, you've already taken care of that. God bless you. Amen. <coughs> Father, we're very grateful for the opportunities in life, and what a blessed people we are. Forgive us when we treat Jews like rags of oil and when we give too much prominence to those inferior things of life. Help us with our values and give us the courage to make the sacrifice and pay the cost and to take up our cross and follow you. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.